You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by listeners like you, supporters on Patreon. Join us today at patreon.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 466, Threshold. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we take a look at each and every episode of Star Trek, examining it at the quantum level for morals, meanings, and messages, and trying to determine if it stands the test of transwarp. This week, Threshold. The one where Tom Paris risks literal life, limb, and the pursuit of lizard fatherhood happiness, all in the name of his father's happiness and pepperoni pizza. John will return shortly with trivia, but first let me tell all of you how you can cross the communications threshold if you would like to stay in touch with all of us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now, here is John Champion with this week's pizza trivia, with this week's trivia topped with Kavarian olives. I'll do what I can. Trivia for Threshold. Well, we have a story credited to Michael DeLuca. And this is one of the biggest names in the industry to have a credit on Star Trek. But you may not know him. Uh, At the time, Michael had come up through Hollywood as a writer with, surprise, surprise, a good number of horror credits. He wrote a number of episodes for the series Freddy's Nightmare and then parlayed that into the screenplay for Freddy's Dead, the final nightmare, but is it ever really? In the 90s, though, Mike became one of the youngest studio executives in history when, at the age of 27, he found himself president and COO of New Line Cinema. Seven, Boogie Nights, Blade, Pleasantville, the Austin Powers franchise, those were all his doing. Today, he is the chairman of the MGM Motion Picture Group. So when a guy like that pitched to Star Trek, the producers took notice. And the story filled a couple of interests that the Voyager producers had for a story to focus on Tom Paris and for a story that would break a rule of the Star Trek universe or at least experiment with it and see what happens. So the teleplay was then assigned to Brandon Braga, though the whole staff had their input. In Brannon's mind, the story would focus on Tom Paris's personal journey, and at some point along the way, as the staff kicked around the repercussions of his flight, the idea of evolution got added into the mix. We'll leave that here for now and see where that lands us later in the discussion. It was directed by Alexander Singer. The last time we mentioned Alex was with the Voyager episode Tattoo. Prior to that, you may remember he directed a total of six episodes each on TNG and DS9. He was on the lot back in the 60s directing shows like Mission Impossible, but directing TOS just never quite worked out. He's got eight more episodes to go on Voyager, bringing his total on the series to ten. Threshold 
was ambitious in a few ways. Uh, the aforementioned attempt to break a rule on Star Trek that was one of Gene Roddenberry's ideas, Warp 10 would be a barrier of some sort. And yes, yes, there are examples of ships going faster than that, but the idea was that by the time of TNG, the warp speed had been recalibrated anyway. There's also the makeup and effects done on Robbie McNeil as Tom here as he transforms. Uh, then there was another practical creature effect of the evolved future Janeway slash Paris amphibious duo. All of that earned the episode an Emmy Award at the 48th Annual Awards Show in 1996 for Michael Westmore and his team. Ooh, uh, by the way, up against this episode of Voyager at the Emmys was Deep Space Nine for the episode The Visitor. As for the amphibian effects, that was mostly under Dan Curry's purview, and he had a couple of individual props made that were actor-operated. He also oversaw the amphibian babies effect, which was a blend of practical technique with a CG assist. The beings themselves were CG, but the effect of them wiggling over the sand and landing in the water was actually marked with a sock filled with sand, and that gave the CG artist something to aim for. Ooh, uh, we have a fun ship name in the original script. The shuttle was named Drake, but we already saw that one and destroyed it in non sequitur. So by the time this script was completed, the name had then been changed to Cochran, of course, after Zephram Cochran. Let's talk about our guest stars. Well, we don't have much in the way of guest stars. We need to point out that we have a return of Michael Jonas, played by Raphael Sbarge, and the Kazon Reddick, uh, played again by Miran Willis. We mentioned both of them in the trivia for last week's show. Also want to mention two actors who go uncredited, Cindy Sorensen and Susan Rossito. Both actors are little people and had accumulated a number of credits in genre works and creature costumes. In this case, they were the humans inside the evolved Paris and Janeway amphibious forms. Welcome to the Delta Quadrant. It's a great place to raise a family, especially if it's a family of small, squishy creatures. Prologue. Tom Paris is seated in the cockpit of a new type of shuttle. Over comms, he and Bellana agree that it's time to activate this new shuttle's transwarp drive. The new and far more powerful engine slams Tom back in his chair while he proceeds to address a cascade of structural problems until the shuttle breaks apart and explodes before reaching the transwarp threshold. However, a very much alive but theoretically dead Tom Paris sits in the middle of the Voyager holodeck as Bellana and Harry share in his defeat. Act 1. In Neelix's mess hall, Bellana, Harry, and Tom debate about why their experiment failed. Neelix offers them a fresh pot of coffee and perhaps even a fresh perspective, even if Bellana has to go forage for some Calavian biscuits for herself. Tom and Harry explain to a very eager Neelix that ever since Voyager discovered a new type of warp enhancing dilithium a month ago, they have been hard at work trying to create a transwarp engine, which in theory would achieve infinite velocity. Neelix admits he's a little out of his depth, but shares a tale when he was an engineer and had somewhat a similar problem, which instantly sends Tom and Harry into a fever-pitched problem-solving tirade. They realize that with a few engineering upgrades, they can retest the simulator sooner than later. And as they race off, they thank Neelix profusely with several well-earned pats on the back. Bellana emerges from the kitchen with a tray of biscuits, but sadly having missed out on all the fun. 
Later in the briefing room, Team Transwarp bristles with pride as their most recent simulation proves that breaking the Warp 10 threshold is possible. Janeway believes that this could be a whole new era of exploration for Starfleet, and that if Tom Paris's test flight is a success, he would join the ranks of history's greatest pilots, including Zephram Cochran. That evening in Tom's quarters, Janeway calls on him personally to tell him that the doctor has not medically cleared him for the test flight. Tom pleads with the captain, explaining that this test flight was the something special his father always told him was his destiny. Tom's determination and passion persuades Janeway, and she clears him for duty. The next day, Shuttlecraft Cochrane, with Tom Paris in the pilot seat, proceeds to hit every expected mark on its acceleration to warp 10. And seconds after the transwarp drive is activated, Tom Paris breaks the threshold. However, Voyager's celebration is short-lived as the Cochrane disappears from the very sensors that confirmed his history-making flight. Act 2. Even after pushing sensors to the maximum, it appears that Tom and the Cochrane are still missing until a quantum surge is detected. Tom and the shuttle have re-emerged from subspace. His life signs are weak, and he's rushed to the all-too-predictable care of the EMH, who, after making sure Tom is relatively okay, barks at him to wake up. Tom describes crossing the threshold to Janeway as being everywhere all at once across time and space, and only returned to normal space because he saw that Janeway and the crew were concerned and looking for him. Balana rushes into sickbay, relieved that Tom is okay, and excited to start on studying the Cochrane's telemetry. The EMH wants to run more post-flight medical tests on Tom, just to be on the safe side, while Harry and Balana download over 5 billion gigaquads of the shuttle's data. Information Janeway believes may contain star charts never seen before and orders Balana to have stellar cartography analyze. Later in the mess hall, Neelix pours his new Paris Delight coffee blend for the hero of the hour, as Tom and Balana plan for their next test flight. Suddenly, Tom suffers an immediate stomach ache and collapses to the floor. Torres orders for an emergency beam out to sickbay, but is told Tom's pattern keeps changing, and they can't lock on to him. A concerned Balana tells Tom to hold on. Act 3. After a cursory analysis, the EMH asks Balana what Tom ingested before he collapsed, and when she told him about Neelix's coffee, the doctor confirms that it is in fact the water in the coffee that has triggered this violent and allergic response. However, the doctor is intrigued and perplexed that Tom's physiology is changing at an alarming rate and his lungs are now incapable of processing oxygen. Working on a theory, the doctor isolates Tom in a containment field with an atmosphere of 80% nitrogen and 20% acidic chloride, which has stabilized Tom's breathing for the moment. The doctor tells Bolana that Tom is dying, and she needs to provide all of the shuttle's data so that the doctor can save Tom, if that even is possible, at his rate of cellular decay. As Kess and the doctor bombard Tom with radiation therapy to try and slow down his cellular mutations, Thomas Eugene Paris's emotions drift across the spectrums of self-pity to self-loathing, from a specific hunger pang for a pepperoni pizza with Cavarian olives to demanding a kiss from Kess, the last request of a dying man. However, with all of the technology at his disposal, the EMH is unable to save Tom and ceases all treatments, including deactivating the isolation field, allowing Kess to approach Tom and fulfill his last request. Later in sickbay, the doctor is interrupted by a strange noise and follows it to Tom's biobed. He pulls the sheet back and discovers that Tom is in fact alive. Tom's eyes prove he is terrified 
and is even more so after he pulls a clump of hair from his head. The doctor scans him quickly and tells Tom that all of his internal organs are functioning perfectly, including his second heart. Act 4. In a darkened room, Maki crewman Jonas contacts the Kazon Reddick and sends him all of the data from Tom's transwarp experiment and his most recent test flight. Jonas hopes that this act of loyalty proves his worth to the Kazon Nistrum. Meanwhile, in sickbay, the doctor explains to Captain Janeway that Tom's DNA is rewriting itself at an alarming rate of speed, but Tom is still aware of who and where he is. Janeway wants to speak to Tom personally, but the doctor warns her that his mutations have given way to a more deranged personality. As Janeway sees Tom lying in his biobed, he is far more mutated than she may have expected, with massive deformations to his head and hands. At first, Tom is very lucid with the captain, but suddenly, Tom verbally lashes out at her, accusing her and the crew of secretly hating him for being a Starfleet traitor, betraying his uniform, and becoming an embarrassment to everyone. He then directly accuses Janeway for trying to take this grand achievement away from him, this mutation that Tom believes is his destiny. And when he tries to apologize to her, he lashes out one last time with grotesque results as he spits out his tongue and smiles. Later, Tom sits on the floor of his containment cell, begging the doctor and Kess to let him go. The doctor believes he has little time to reverse Tom's mutation before there's nothing left of his DNA to recover. He informs Janeway, Chakotay, and Torres that he needs the anti-proton radiation from the warp core to revert Tom's DNA before it's too late. However, after placing Tom in an isotopic restraint in engineering and trying several attempts to use this radiation therapy, Tom breaks free. And while the doctor and Kess watch the havoc unfold in engineering, power across the ship flutters and then fails as Tuvok issues a shipwide security alert. Act 5. Captain Janeway is searching for Tom on Deck 6 and is informed that he used a phaser on the port plasma conduit in engineering, causing the shipwide power failures. Suddenly, she is attacked from behind and abducted by Tom outside of the turbo lift, but manages to fire her phaser, which alerts Harry's internal sensors to investigate the weapon's discharge. By the time Tuvok discovers the captain's phaser, he is too late locating Tom or the captain. Harry also isn't able to stop a shuttle from leaving Voyager because the tractor beam is offline due to the power failure. And not just any shuttle, but the Cochrane, which Tom knows full well, even in his advanced mutated state, of its capability to reach the transwarp threshold, and it does, leaving Voyager unable to pursue. According to Chakotay's first officer's log, Voyager locates the shuttle in a nearby and uninhabited star system three days after Tom escaped with the captain as his prisoner. Before Tuvok and Chakotay mount a rescue mission, the doctor explains that Tom has in fact evolved millions of years in 24 hours and could very well be the most advanced stage of human evolution. The doctor is also confident that his anti-proton therapy will work and return Tom to normal. After locating human DNA on the fourth planet in this system, Tuvok and Chakotay transport down and come across two large salamander-type creatures. Chakotay stuns them after one of the salamanders becomes more aggressive, then scans and confirms that the creatures are Tom and the captain. Suddenly, from a nearby hole, three lizard babies crawl away and slither into a nearby pond. Chakotay is at a loss as how he will enter this into his logs, to which Tuvok expresses great interest in reading it. Thanks to the doctor's successful gene therapy, Tom and Captain Janeway have reverted back to their human selves. Tom is beyond embarrassed and apologizes to Janeway, 
To his surprise, she reminds him how much he's grown since joining Voyager's crew, and she even wants to award him a commendation for the fact that he did indeed make the first transwarp flight. Tom then realizes that he has a lot of his own personal barriers to break in order to find some kind of acceptance of himself. The end. Nicely done, Norman. Just another episode of Star Trek Voyager. Just just like any other, you, you know, you just did a recap. Just like it was any other episode of Star Trek. That's where we're getting into, right? Well, it's a drop in the literal primordial bucket, right? So, <laughs> Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. I, you know, I, I think I, I will find myself at times thinking, did they devolve or did they evolve? Is this primordial or is it so far in the future that we've just like come full circle and gone to this lizard state? I mean... Did you get no. a strange like sense of okay? Is this what all good things was telling me? Did we miss something in like mm, Q storytelling be. going all the way back to the past to all the way into the future? Could be. It's just all. You know what, Norman? It's all in the wheel. It all comes around. It's wibbly wobbly, John. It is. It's timey wimey mm-hmm. too. All right, uh, let's get into it because first thing that I noticed was Tom Paris in the shuttle simulation is breaking up. It's breaking up. Yes, because we just like the staff watched Six Million Dollar Man when we were kids. <laughs> That's <laughs> immediately what I thought of yeah. from the opening credits. By the way, one of the few shows that I absolutely have to watch the opening credits every time I see it. Right. I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah. right? And if you haven't hold seen that thought, hold, hold that thought. If you haven't seen it, <gasps> think of cows. Think of cows. <sighs> okay, almost sneezed, but I didn't think I thought of cows. <laughs> All right, what? <sighs> I don't even yeah, know. What I know that it is. It's weird. They, somebody did that to me once. I was about to sneeze, and they came up to me and go, "Think of cows," and then I, I didn't sneeze. I'm gonna have to try and do that sometime. Maybe <sighs> it was just a distraction. I don't know, but hmm. interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All, All right. right. Sorry. Oh, by the way, I mean, I know. So cows may have solved that problem, but I'll tell you what solves like the universal problem of everything: coffee. Coffee solves all problems because, like Tom Bellana and Harry, like they're all super genius level, you know, officers on Voyager, and then they can't yeah. figure out this transwarp problem. I mean, it's just transwarp. I mean, come on, really, seriously? Yeah, like, I, that, that's all it is. I mean, come on, right? it, look if the Excelsior couldn't figure it out. Then, yeah, I mean, way back when, nearly 100 years ago, I feel like these guys can figure it out. But they can as long as there's enough coffee. And it's very true. And Neelix with his anecdotal uh, wisdom. So, yeah. Yeah. I've got something to say about that scene when we get to the next segment. Mm. So we'll we'll come back to that. Yeah. You know, nothing like either forgives everything or promotes you past Ensign than coming up with a theory of breaking the warp 10 barrier. So <laughs> that that's what'll get Harry Kim promoted, but, right? Is that the scene that's missing in this episode? Well, so here's that's a good question, and here's a scene I don't know. Maybe they could have referenced. I'm not like the the I, I'm not the most educated student of the Next Generation, but I do remember that early on in the Next Generation, like season one or something like that, with the Traveler, that they broke the warp ten barrier. Like Picard saw his mom in the middle of a floor, yeah. and weird things happened. Warp saw a targ pet. Right. So, isn't this something that's like on record? Of yeah, we actually did this sometime. Yeah, but uh, see, and that was part of my problem with that episode is that it was magic that got them. There. Oh. And, and I know that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yes, yes, I know it. But 
I, I always chalk that up as, you know, a special case, special thing where you're using the mental power slash technology, et cetera, of the traveler to fold space-time, do whatever, to move the ship along. That wasn't a thing that just became like a part of the ship, uh, and then the Enterprise could suddenly go past Warp 10 without any problems. So what you're but, telling me is that instead of trying to find better dilithium, they needed to mine spice instead of dilithium. That's what they needed to mine. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Gotcha. Yep. yep. So you mentioned in trivia, because I didn't know this, that mm-hmm. the Drake was destroyed. They had to rename the Drake... Uh, into a different ship, which became the Cochrane. But mm-hmm. I always thought that they just renamed like a shuttle, like generic shuttle, whatever shuttles were left. You know, after, in mm-hmm. in the wake of Chakotay's shuttling problems, that they renamed it. <laughs> that they renamed it Cochrane because of the warp flight. You know, because of the warp ten flight. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of like ceremonial, right? Yeah. So b- building that special to to be that thing was yeah named after I, look I, I Cochrane is great. I, I like an in universe reference. I would have gone for the Jaeger. Or something like that, just because I feel like the guy who broke the sound barrier, that's kind of, you know, may- maybe that would be a better. But I-, I get it. I get it. Go for the in-universe. Uh, uh, you know, that- that's all right. It would have been really awkward if they named that shuttle the Orville. I'm just saying. <laughs> that would have been. It absolutely would be. Oh, my God. The doctor yelling, wake up, Lieutenant. Brilliant. Perfect. <laughs> Love that. So it laughed out loud every time it happened. Yeah. Picardo steals the show. Give him like half he the does. amount of dialogue that anyone else gets. He'll still steal the show. He will. He will. Okay. Yeah. So, John, when remember the uh, the episode we loved so much? It was called Twisted. Yep. <laughs> and there was the at the end of the episode. The reason why I bring this up is not to whip on Twisted. It's because they referenced Gigaquad. I think the very first time in Voyager that was twenty Gigaquads, twenty Gigaquads yes. of information that they left in Voyager's database. Yeah. Now they referenced 5 billion gigaquads. Oh, <laughs> is it because 20 isn't enough? Well, wait. Uh, yeah. I Look, I, I thought it was – hang on. I thought it was 50 gigaquads that Tom brought back this time, 20 gigaquads that we got from the alien entity and Twisted. All I want to know is this. You have all this data <laughs> dumped into the computers. Did anybody – did anybody have to go like – Hey, uh, maybe there's a map to a wormhole in there. Maybe, maybe there's something to be done with this information. Nope. I guess we'll never talk about it again. Reset so, button. Click. Reset button. Mm-hmm. Clicked. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love the moment with the doctor walking through the force field because it's done so subtly, so well, and it's just a great acknowledgement using the flexibility of the technology yep. because the EMH is special. I love it. And man, uh, Tom's scream in there is painful, reflective of uh, Tuvok's scream. Uh, that we heard a few weeks ago. In Resistance, yeah. I, I have a lot to say about Robbie's acting in this, uh, yeah. of which is going to be uh, in the next section. Reference check. Check out mm. Biomedical Elkar screen scan 47. No, you're kidding. How did I miss that? Two oh, hearts. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. With the two hearts. Points. Yeah. You were talking about Robbie's acting. There will be more to be said about that. And obviously this episode got uh, the Emmy Award for makeup. The progression of the makeup on Tom mm-hmm. is excellent. Yeah. It is uh, really outstanding. You can see why they absolutely earned that uh, award. And and overall, we just got to say that all the body horror stuff going on. Thank you, Brandon Braga and your fandom of David Cronenberg. It's made very clear here. 
it, it is clever and more amped up than anything we've had before on Star Trek, like Genesis. Genesis! That <laughs> just, just predated this by not that many years, but you can tell, like, uh, okay, we, we played around with body horror stuff there, now we're just going to amp it up on a show like this. John, how can you be deaf with ears like that? That's me to ask you <laughs> talk about Genesis. Speaking of appendages, yeah. the tongue, the tongue scene. It, oh, w- my God. Was that a scene too far, maybe, for this episode? Maybe for TV of you know, 1996? It, it was it, it was unexpected for me now, watching it well after its original premiere date. Yeah. Um, it, it snaps it, it, off. It just, it, you know, it doesn't slide yeah. off. It snaps off. Yeah. Yeah. And they went for it. They really did. That was a pretty intense moment. And then to have Tom talking after that and the struggle of trying to get those words out, uh, really, really intense. Yeah. But it, it sold it, you know. Okay, look, just like jumping into an entirely different show here for a second, the call between Jonas and Reddick. It's just yeah. it's just weird. There's so little screen time for it. But it's also like, wh- wait, why? why? Why are they talking now uh, about this? And, and I love how Jonas is like, oh, yeah, it worked in a matter of speaking. <laughs> dude, dude, are you trying to kill the Kazon now? Because if you know what happened to Tom at all, this is just a weird choice. <laughs> I I like that scene, to be honest with you. I was just like, look really? at this. Like, this is like Subversion 101. Like, is, like, you have the distraction that you need to actually make the call that you need to make. Right? Yeah, and yeah. I, and it's, you're right. It's kind of like, yeah, he kind of made the flight. <laughs> yeah, but the sure, point is, sure. is that I'm completely like on your side with this clandestine call. So yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a weird scene, but it's also weirder that it wasn't to Cullah himself, and maybe they couldn't get Anthony for the show. Right. Good right. point. Yeah. So uh, speaking of being able to take advantage of chaos, Voyager security fails again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. And if you're fans of Tuvok, yeah. I'm just stating facts here. So in a security sweep, don't they just automatically or shouldn't they just lock out the shuttle bay? Because how many times have people escaped in the shuttle bay during a security lockout? Or All any, the time. All the time. And yeah. that's how they lose shuttles. Yeah. So it's not just mm-hmm. the sh- it's not security is bad. It's that security and the shuttles are both suspect. Are both at yeah. Risk. Oh, and then the tractor beam is offline. Well, why? Somebody was monkeying around in there. That should have come up on a scanner somewhere that somebody's monkeying around with the tractor beam. Just saying. So, yeah. yeah. I, I know that we'll get into this later because we have to talk about Tom's journey into all of this. And there was something that you, you, know, you pointed out in your recap, and it's there in the episode where the doctor tries to explain the changes in Tom's mental state to Janeway. But, like, these lines are very interesting. How do you know this isn't the best thing that's happened to me? You're jealous. Okay, uh, but I also feel like we haven't necessarily been given good reason to accept the personality change yet or as much. This is the turning point in the episode. This mm-hmm. moment is where things kind of ramp up and just really go off the rails for Tom. And, and in fact, he said, I am everything, which is very interesting. By the way, if Paris was actually that much in tune with the past, present, and future simultaneously, wouldn't he then be able to be more reasonable about what he should do and how he should do it? So maybe I'm not totally buying his sudden enlightenment with that. Like, I can see everything. I know every point in time, past is the present, is the future, etc. 
but I'm still turning into a lizard who's going to kidnap uh, Janeway after verbally berating her. Are you saying that he's not the Lizard King and he can't do everything? I may, that might be it. Mm. That might, and I think we all know who is. Mm-hmm. By the way, I, just to go to something kind of funny, the shots of all the <laughs> phaser fire and engineering just on the bridge monitor. I know, right? Like, it's a hilarious cost-cutting, time-saving thing. We're going to produce the effects, but they'll be on this little monitor, and we don't see any people. We just see... Chaos, 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 static. Yeah. Going right across. Right, It's sort of like the next step up from the old Shakespearean way of, yeah, all the action took place off stage. Yeah. You, you didn't see that part. <laughs> um, speaking of shooting phasers, it's a good thing that, yes. like... Oh, maybe it's not a good thing, but it, it's a good thing that, like, Chakotay didn't kill the salamanders with a stun setting because he was like let's shoot first and then scan later because that's what we do in starfleet okay sure yeah yeah that that was yeah yeah fortunately for him that all worked out yeah and and, and very quickly too like beam down there they are stun them bring them back and we're done yeah the the funny bit though between janeway and uh tom when they're talking they're convalescing in sick bay i've thought about having children but i must say i never considered having them with you that was good (laughs) sick burn yeah very funny good bit of business and her deadpan delivery of that which was interesting because I think there are multiple layers of that scene to be played. I mean, mm-hmm. first of all, there might be this reality of Janeway having considered, ooh, what will my family life be like now or later, you know, whenever in her career. So that's all interesting stuff to reveal about Janeway. But I just kind of love the the rank putting him in his place, <laughs> you know? And speaking of the children, you know, mm-hmm. if... If the lizard babies are indeed the offspring of Tom and the captain containing human DNA, then shouldn't the doctor's anti-proton treatment work on those lizard babies, too? Oh, oh no. You're right. Yeah. Chakotay really does away with that possibility in one line. Like, I decided to leave them there. (laughs) Okay. Is Janeway going to have anything to say about that? Everyone has an opinion about this episode. Please be courteous and hold your tongue until we hear what Norman and John have to say, even if your tongue has already fallen out of your face. We will get right back to Threshold after a word from this week's sponsor, and that week's sponsor, of course, is you, all of you who support us at Patreon, patreon.com slash mission log. We do appreciate it. And you know, Norman, what's really cool is that we keep trying to kind of ramp up what those features are. Of course, the centerpiece is the Patreon community at mission logs discord. Mm-hmm. That is the heart and soul of the community. And that has been growing yet again with a full slate of live chat places to interact with your fellow fans. I think one of the things that uh, the community has kind of like evolved into is a very dynamic place where people talk about all different types of fandoms. And now with all the different chats that we have and all the different sub threads, many of the of the listeners and many of the audience and people that are participating even more than they probably originally thought they would are really engaged in these live conversations that we have started, especially with After Dark, which was our very first live show, which brought so many people kind of like out from behind the keyboards and into the screens talking live to one another and building this great community. 
Yeah, and that has turned into this regular lineup of discussions every week. Everything from Star Trek to the Orville to the Twilight Zone, or just hanging out, hanging out at the Con Tiki Chat, where we can talk about get-togethers, in-person events, conventions, cocktails, you name it. So check it out. Go to patreon.com slash mission log. Of course, you get early access to our shows. You get exclusive swag. You get to hang out in the Mission Log Discord and jump into one of those live chats sometime because they are a lot lot of fun. Thank you to our latest members, Michael, Jelana, Matt, Brandon, Tristan, and Robert. We do appreciate your support. Remember, go to patreon.com slash mission log and pick the support tier that is best for you. We will see you there. Norman, uh, mm-hmm. you mentioned it in the last segment, talking about that scene where Neelix comes up and he joins Bellana and Tom and Harry at the table. Um, I'm just going to point this out and say that particularly anybody who has worked in the corporate world and done any kind of like sensitivity training, this is an object lesson in unconscious bias in the workplace. <laughs> because I, and I know that it's sort of played for laughs. And the the ending of that scene is that, oh, wait, we learned something. We got something out of Neelix's insights. So we're going to rush off and put that to work. Yes, Neelix is annoying sometimes and he can really stick his nose and where it doesn't belong sometimes but i'm sorry these three people balana tom harry talking in the mess hall look they're not on a deadline they aren't making much headway as it is they aren't solving the problem solely by themselves mm-hmm. an outside point of view is exactly what they need here they are then particularly balana so dismissive right so condescending Sometimes what you need is another pair of eyeballs on the problem. And look, that said, I'm glad that the attitudes get turned around. But let's give Neelix a little more credit here. Uh, It's just uh, it, it was uncomfortable. It ends the way that it should. But, you know, I also feel like Neelix needs to be given a good deal of the credit here for solving their problem. I think one of the things that hurts this scene a lot, and I agree with you, John, I think that unless you wear a Starfleet badge, then mm-hmm. kind of like there's an attitude, you know, towards, you know, mm-hmm. certain people on the ship. And let me caveat that with not just a Starfleet badge, but a Starfleet badge and without the Maquis pip on your mm. collar, you know, yeah. because it's kind of like the, it's kind of like a, a, a certain type of bias by rank, you know, mm-hmm. or bias by, uh, you know, bias by uh, iconography. Yeah. But in Prototype, which was just the episode before this, mm-hmm. Balana is actually helped by Neelix's, uh, his counsel, when he poured her a cup of coffee. Or actually, right. I'm sorry, she wanted yeah. coffee from him. She yeah. turned, she was cut off by Neelix, but Neelix told her the story about his seven spice um, omelet. And then mm-hmm. she understood the metaphor of his story, got some sleep, worked out the problem, and was actually helped in a way by Neelix's counsel. Why didn't she bring that up in this episode? Why didn't the writers yeah. bring that up in this episode? Where like, wait, we really should listen to what Neelix has to say. And you're right, Bellana was the first person to kind of roll her eyes at, oh, really? You're going to help us with warp theory or quantum singularity or mechanics? 
Well, and remember the end of that scene, too. So you have Tom and Harry saying thank you, and they're excited to run off. And you, you leave Milana there with a tray of canapes still mm-hmm. looking kind of defeated by it. Like, oh, how dare he, how dare Neelix come up with the solution? <laughs> you right. know? So. It was a very strange scene. But I, I do have to say something that I like about how this opens and where they go with it next. I love whenever they test things out on the holodeck. Like I, I, it's a bit of a Star Trek trope at this point that you open with a dangerous scene, and then that dangerous scene is revealed to be in the holodeck only. But I still think just as an idea that cool, they get to try out these dangerous things in the holodeck is still very cool. I think the weird thing about holodeck simulations. When you do it like one or two or three times, like maybe it's exciting. Maybe you'll go through the motions of like, you know, the, 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 the inertial dampeners are failing. There are explosion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But mm-hmm. by like, you know, the nth time you're doing, I'm like, okay, this, my chair is going to rattle. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's going to be an explosion on the side. I mean, how much am I going to act like throughout this entire process? Just give, they can literally like run the simulation without Tom in the chair. It's just yeah. data. Yeah. Very right. True. It's just data. So it's yeah. kind of like, what's the point of simulation? If you're not simulating the after effects of actually achieving transwarp. Now, some people can argue like, okay, no one's ever achieved transwarp. Therefore, we can't actually input the data of what the experience is going to be. However, when they're talking about stuff over coffee and with Neelix, (laughs) whether or not he's helping or not, they do say that you're achieving infinite velocity and you're achieving infinite, you know, uh, everything because you've entered this quantum state. They know the science. Can't they just program the parameters of the scientific effect into the simulation? Or then what's the simulation for? Aside from we hit warp 10 and the entire like engine just runs smoothly. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It could very well be. Hmm. But I have a bigger question though. It's like, what's the rush, right? It's not like, uh, no, I understand easy folks out there. You're saying that you want, (laughs) they want to get home. They want to cut the 70 light years. I get that. And that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that, they discovered a new type of dilithium a month ago, mm-hmm. and they're pushing themselves so hard to get this transwarp engine online that they never even really addressed, well, we tried modifying Voyager's engines with this new dilithium. We tried to increase the speed of our own ship before we said, you know what? It's not going to work. We should try it on something smaller, like a shuttle first. Mm-hmm. So they never, you didn't really go through the process of trial and error by actually trying to modify the one ship that you have that you know how it works to be able to get there faster and with achievable results because you know the technology that you have. So why not go there first versus let's create an entirely new shuttle. Let's create an entirely new technology (laughs) that we have no idea if it's going to work or not. But we're going to push ourselves to the point of risking our own safety. Yeah. Or for that matter, for that matter, you build a uh, you build a drone, essentially, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. So here's something that I want to ask. And I feel like maybe this is a comment that is better left for the next segment, but I also feel like we're going to have a lot to say in the next segment. So we might as well plant it here. Um, And that is really trying to figure out what is the direction of the episode, because you've got this writer, in this case, Brandon Braga, playing with, well, at least maybe one very big idea about the universe and about our relationship to it, our experience of it. I kind of got 2001 of Space Odyssey vibes in, in a certain respect here, not because stylistically this is like it, but the very idea 
idea of Tom breaking this barrier, the threshold, which, by the way, they said about 20 times in the episode, mm-hmm. um, is sort of like that segment in 2001, Beyond the Infinite. Like, there is this huge question, what is there? What actually will happen? What will he see? This is all fascinating, and, and that all gets kicked off with this very, well, as I said before, like a Chuck Yeager, right stuff kind of story. Like, th- this person is going to put his life on the line to go explore that. Okay, then at a certain point, that gets completely derailed and completely changed over to a story about evolution or de-evolution, however you want to look at it, which also doesn't quite go to its you know, final place of discussion never quite gets to to the point that we can really examine it and and have a uh, a deep thought about it, or maybe mine a moral meaning message out of it. Maybe we'll get back there again again in the next segment. So. I'm finding that these stories kind of lose focus. And the reason that I want to bring it up here is because I I want to, well, two things. A, I want to talk about the science. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, but, But B, I want to ask you and I want to ask everybody who is listening to this, you know, did you find that this story or these two stories that are competing with each other, do they even belong in the same episode together? Or do you find your attention split or suddenly rerouted at a certain point when you're watching this episode. So I remember the first time I watched this episode, I was completely fixated on the science aspect of it. And I'm going okay. to, and, gonna and I am going to come back to yeah. the science for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that watching the episode, the way we do for mission log, I look at the science as being a factor of trying to basically tell a different story. I'm going to go over that mm-hmm. in, in my, um, in the final segments of the episode. But what I do like about the science in this episode is that I do think it actually touches on certain hard science elements, mm-hmm. quantum singularity, quantum theory, etc. I am no expert in this. And we do have someone in the Star Trek community that we know who is an expert on this. So <laughs> if we could make certain calls and talk about this episode with Dr. Aaron McDonald, that would be fantastic. <laughs> um, but when I read what this science is supposed to do, what infinite velocity, what infinite time, what quantum theory, what quantum singularity, being everywhere at once and nowhere at mm-hmm. once, you know, and yeah. fixed points in time, etc. What I came away with is that there's this really interesting global way of looking at science fact, hard fact versus science fiction in Star Trek. And I think that Voyager is at this really interesting tipping point where it's because it's so heavily technobabbly and science-based that when science is introduced in this series, it's almost considered a very uh, established point for discussion if it or if it is or not applicable if it is or isn't real if it is or isn't just manufactured for the show which pretty much all the science really is in star trek i mean let's look at this do we really believe that warp speed is achievable do we really believe that phasers work do we really believe that photon (laughs) torpedoes you know are you know are as effective at x amount range i mean we're talking and we are literally slicing the most ridiculous amounts of logic to science that doesn't exist 
right? I, that is true. That is true. Now, uh, within Star Trek, though, there are certain consistencies. So you you set certain kind of boundaries for the storytelling. Like hmm. warp speed is a thing. It is how we travel long distances. There is a speed limit on it, blah, blah, blah. And yes, you know what? For a story like this, um, I haven't talked to Andre Bormanis about it, but I do know that uh, maybe it was on the DVD special features. And they, he basically said, look, this is the excuse to get into the story that we want to tell. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. My break with the science – well, actually, I, I'm going to have two breaks with the science here. Okay. okay. One, one is I have to quote the late Richard Feynman who said, if you think you understand quantum mechanics, you don't understand quantum mechanics. <laughs> so that, that comes from one of the you know, most preeminent physicists of you know, the last century. So that, that right there, unfortunately – you know, using quantum mechanics to try to explain anything, whether it's in a fictional story like this or just even in the real world, uh, saying like, oh, well, um, you know, I don't have an explanation or any proof for, say, the existence of ghosts. But you know what? Quantum mechanics is really weird. So blah, blah, blah. Therefore, my belief is true. That's the uh, theory you know, part. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> you never hear a quantum fact. You always hear a quantum uh, theory. Right? Exactly, exactly. Right. My Look, my big break with uh, science here has less to do with that and it has to do with evolution. And, and that is just plain and simple, and this shouldn't e- even have to come into play as a thing that we get kicked around with this episode is that evolution does not work this way individuals do not evolve species evolve over time over Mm -hmm. very very long periods of time and they try to have their cake and eat it too with this one by saying okay well we are manipulating the dna but uh, okay well you do that enough and either you've got cancer or death the the, those are the things that happen or cake or a cake, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, when you manipulate DNA too much. Um, yeah. So at best, you could have some epigenetic uh, 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 sort of responses or, um, I, I guess, representations of what's going on. But to say that a thing, an individual, is evolving is just nonsense. Like, like the, those thoughts do not go together. They don't fit you know, could you have a, a point where you have a vastly accelerated uh, reproduction cycle and you've got many multiple changes over time? Again, allele frequencies over time. Sure. But this is absolutely going to make me pull my hair out <laughs> the longer I try to square the science on this. Right. And, and yeah. you know what? That's kind of the the angle that I took. When I was breaking this episode down, I'm like, you know, at one point in time, I was literally, you know, up two, three, four o'clock in the morning with Paris Blend, drinking too much <laughs> coffee and reading too many papers on quantum theory and yeah. Schrodinger's yeah. box and all of that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. I think that when it when it if I have to boil it all down, because I don't want to insult anyone's scientific intelligence at all. Certainly, I'm not going to because I don't have that scientific intelligence that you people have out there. But I think at the end of the day, it is a red herring of distracting us from what's really happening in this episode. And I think that, the yeah, sure, the science is wacky. 
<laughs> this is the best <laughs> way of putting it. But at the same time, though, I do think that there is a kernel of trying to examine that scientific truth, which is still in theory. But I don't think that that is really what we need to focus on in this episode to really enjoy what's happening in this episode. Well, we're always going to have to ask ourselves as fans, as watchers of something like this, or any science fiction for that matter, like, you know, given the world that they're trying to occupy, what are the rules of that world that they're trying to occupy? Well, if you say, okay, here's a machine that gets you from point A to point B at fast, you know, fastly, uncalculable speeds from where we are right now. Okay, that is just the reality of that world as they have that. It's a little bit different for me when you get to, okay, here's a human being, and a human being is doing something that just you're trying to make an excuse for it. Not not you. I mean, the show, the script is trying to make an excuse for it. Here's this change. And using scientific phrases, using scientific concepts like DNA, evolution, etc., but simply do not apply to a human being the way that those words that have real world meanings mm-hmm. that, and and are you know well studied and well understood scientifically simply don't connect you know so that that's where I have an easier time with warp drive transporters even though they're a death machine warp mm-hmm. drive transporters phasers etc than I do something like this. But I think all of that can be, you know, reframed. Like you're saying, like warp is like, to our understanding, is an incalculable measure, even though it is Mm -hmm. consistent. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of like, Mm -hmm. that's the angle I took when I first watched Threshold. I'm like, okay, they are breaking the consistent units of measurement in this particular episode. Warp capability reaches 9.9992 ad infinitum until you break it at warp 10. Once warp 10 is broken, once that threshold has been, has been achieved, you are entering a completely new realm of quantum subspace. Of which Tom mm. says that I can see everything at the same time everywhere. So my explanation, I promised myself I wasn't going to do this. Damn it, John. <laughs> but now you worked me up. So I yeah, to t- Tom's tripping on what I know about it. Yeah. So in that, in that time that Tom went into quantum space, he literally became everything in the evolutionary process all at once. Then he chose to collapse that into his one singular dimensional temporal being which was already changed at the molecular level from being in quantum subspace. Which can't be explained because it's never been done before in Star Trek. So we're taking kind of like, again, these standard consistent units of measurement. We know Uh people have probably broken down kind of like the, you know, like the frequency of phaser between stun and kill, all of the different numbers that need to be crunched for every single thing that's been possibly thrown at you until this point. And now you're dealing with a variable that's never existed in Star Trek, warp 10, right? Sure, they monkeyed around with it in Star Trek 3 and Scotty, like, you know, he destroyed the transwarp engine. It's never been Mm -hmm. talked about until now. Yep, yep. But once Tom reached that threshold, once he passed into that barrier of unknown space and time and infinite speed, you can't necessarily say that we understand evolution or mutation as we know it with the definitions of pre-warp 10 mechanics. 
I think that's where the episode disconnects from itself. And then mm. therefore, again, I, I apologize for sort of jumping to the end here. <laughs> uh, but but the, dis, the, the disconnect is for me because I think this idea of what is beyond Warp 10 is fascinating. Yeah. Once we actually try to play it out and call it evolution and call it a DNA change – and we just say, like, oh, he is evolving. Like, none of those things track. None of those things make sense anymore. I, I, I get it that we're sort of saying, okay, but maybe that is the premise here, is that it doesn't make sense anymore because we've gone to this nonsensible, um, ill-defined place that we can't actually describe and understand. I'm going to have a much harder time buying that. But I want to make sure that you get to your final thought uh, here in this segment before we jump to our wrap-up. So the only thing that I think that was really missing, and, and I think that pro- – I don't know. Maybe it would have convoluted like the entire story. It's not like we had enough to chew on as it was. Mm-hmm. But I do like it when they introduce elements in any episode of Star Trek where you have an, a finite resource – or a possible mm. finite resource to push the drama along. I think that there is an artificial clock that was built in Tom's evolution, whereas I think that the artificial clock could have served the episode's purpose more with what do we do with this rare amount of uber-special dilithium that we mined a month ago. So do we do we save Tom using that in the isotropic restraints, using the anti-proton radiation therapy? Yes, I memorized all of that. <laughs> Very right? good. Very good. You know, or yeah. do we try and push the warp 10 threshold again and try and get back home? Because the theory works. Mm. So it's interesting. Like, I really wanted them to push that drama. Like, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one with this mm-hmm. rare resource that they found that they can't get back to because for reasons they were chased out of that space, maybe by Kazon, maybe by, you know, the Bedeans, whatever. Yeah. But we're, we're missing, I think, just a heightened sense, a more heightened sense of the captain weighing in on, do I choose this? Do I choose Tom or I choose mm-hmm. the crew? Right, Because they made a very specific point of that when she says, you are not fit to fly this mission mm-hmm. based on this 2% issue that you have medically. Carrie can fly the mission. Right? She cares about Tom. She cares about his well-being. So we really needed – I feel that they really needed to actually play that up more with this particular dilemma with a, a finite resource to get them home. Get back in there, lizard boy, and uh, fly that thing straight until you come back. <laughs> that's, that's the plan. I don't know who won the Delta Quadrant Small Squishy Creature Babysitter of the Year Award, but I know that Chakotay didn't win it. John and I have successfully achieved reaching the end of this Transwarp episode, and by the strict definition of the word, we have evolved mm. up to a point where we got to this moment, but have we really evolved, or have we just cheated the system of getting here because of really good editing? You might say that we have at least crossed the threshold from segment four to segment five of our show. That is, and yeah. now we that was that was the transwarp yeah. of that sh- of that part of the show. So, right. all of that aside, we are here, and what we do here at Mission Log is that we take a look at the episode in totality and see if it holds up. Does it st- does it withstand the test of time? And then get into our morals, meanings, and messages. We've talked a lot about this episode. We can talk way more about this episode, <laughs> and way more discussion may happen about this yeah. episode. So, sure let's go all the way back to. 
does this episode hold up? How does it hold up for you, John? Let's get into it. All right. So the problem with an episode like this is that when you ask, does it hold up? It's so easy to say no. So no. No, I, it doesn't. Emphatically, no, it doesn't. But, 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 before you discount that opinion on whether or not this shows up, there is a lot to discuss here. There is a lot to unpack with this episode. It is a weird paradox. You take it from the production end, just like the mechanics of writing a show and getting across a story versus then what the final product is, and you get it out to the audience and how they accept it. There is a great premise here with the warp drive experiment and making tom a test pilot it has honestly the episode as a whole has some of the best dialogue that we have heard so far in voyager there are some genuinely unsettling moments all of that all of those good elements are a testament to how good a writer brandon braga is even when you know you take something like this and maybe you look at it as a bit of a failed experiment but all the elements are there, and I think he really is bringing some some of his best strengths to the development of the show. But this is like Schrodinger's episode. I'm, I'm glad that you brought up uh, quantum. Oh, well, yeah, say. yeah. I'm glad you brought up quantum <laughs> mechanics. You know, because from moment to moment, it depends on how you look at it, whether or not you'll get a great scene or something just completely eye rolling and horrendously awful. <laughs> so, like. Early in the episode, the scene of Tom making his case for being the pilot instead of Harry. I really like that there is a personal moment here, and it is played well. But is this really the right scene? This sort of like 2% chance of a medical issue, and then the answer to that is just, I really want this. It's one of those scenes where I feel like the sentiment is perfect, but it's a bit awkwardly written. It's a bit awkwardly played out. Okay, contrast that though with Tom's death scene. The the you know, the moment where he's transforming and he's in the force field. This is so well acted and the writing is it is some of the most perfect writing I think that we've had in any similar scene to that in all of Star Trek. It's the moment where we are fully as the audience, we are fully aware of the seriousness of the situation, but the characters are trying to console each other by sometimes making light of it, being sympathetic, but at every turn, as soon as the really great ideas in this episode take hold, they can't help but shoot themselves in the foot. (laughs) If, If this episode had just been about pushing the limits of tech and about Tom pushing himself, we may have had something that was just incredibly solid but again story veers into these weird other directions and ill-defined motivations for tom it just stops making sense um that's for all you talking heads fans out there and we end up with this kind of monster of the week story that's hard to be invested in because it feels silly i will say this though Okay, the scenes of the salamanders, call them whatever, salamanders, lizards, whatever, the future evolved millions of generations that they are, they're mercifully way shorter than any of us remember. They're so bad that that's what we recall, but in terms of time spent, 
uh, there is so much more in the show that is good than that just those few bad minutes. So the episode doesn't hold up overall, but then it isn't nearly as bad as the conventional wisdom would have you believe. There are so many parts that are good, that are, that are better than good. There are moments here that are as good as any in Voyager so far. But it falls apart as soon as the story becomes something else. So overall, still, it has to be a no, but it's a regretful no. Because there's a lot of promise here. And again, I swear to you, some of this dialogue is just fantastic. I, I think that death scene is the highlight of the episode because everybody's playing it very much for the reality. And they're also playing the subtext, which is the gallows humor is, is very genuine. Yeah, it absolutely is. But they're all playing the subtext of the scene, even the doctor. You know, so uh, all of that stuff is so well done. But unfortunately, those great scenes can't save the episode overall. Please tell me what you're thinking. I cannot wait. (laughs) So way back when we were covering Deep Space Nine, there were mentions of when we get to Voyager, um, the fans were excited for us to cover this particular Mm -hmm. episode because I said on occasion that this was my favorite Voyager episode to date up mm-hmm. to the season five era, which I got to and stopped watching in total because life happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew this. We were on a clock from those questions forward, and I knew this day would come. I knew this day would come where you and I would talk about Threshold, and I didn't know, based on our schedule of alternating weeks, that I was actually going to be the one to break this episode <laughs> down. And I'm glad. I'm glad that I did because... My greatest fear may have been assuaged in a different way. My greatest fear in reviewing this episode is asking certain questions that you and I ask when of ourselves when we watch mm. any episode breakdown for Mission Log. Mm-hmm. And I do think that I'm evenly split on being as truthful as I possibly can be about recommending this episode. Mm-hmm. Because on one hand, and you, you said this so eloquently, John, on one hand... This is easily Tom Paris's best episode to date from a character standpoint. And Robbie, certainly probably his best episode to date from yep. an actor's standpoint. Yep. Right? We really haven't seen either Tom explored this way or Robbie allowing himself to actually be the actor that he is because he's actually given material that gives him the ability to show off the quality and skill and nature of being able to understand where Tom is coming from from the material that he's given in this script. In my opinion, this is Tom Paris's Jatrell episode. Mm. Right? Most characters now have had that moment. And maybe for Chakotay, it was Tattoo because it gave us so much more background on his character. Obviously, Neelix was Jatrell, maybe a Logium for Kess. But for, for Tom, who has been, I think, woefully sidelined for a long time to be this this snarky, quippy, you know, mm-hmm. pretty boy pilot, we really got to see who he is and what makes him the way that he is in this episode. And Robbie plays it perfectly with equal parts and equal measure of fear and trepidation of what's happening to him. On the other hand, <laughs> the problem I have with this episode is the reason why I love this episode. Because the science is so ridiculously fluid. Pardon the pun. 
As an educated person. By the way, fluid is a very interesting (laughs) word to choose for that. Sure. Okay. Okay. I like it. Yeah. So educated educated people out there understanding the science and et cetera, you know that you've read your papers on quantum theory, quantum singularity, et cetera, et cetera. And I know this isn't how evolution works as it is defined by our science, our understanding of evolution. But in the same breath, I know that the Borg don't exist either, right? I know that starships aren't out there colonizing space. I know that transporters don't work. I know that warp theory doesn't work. It's all science fiction. So it's just being able to accept that the possibility of what they're talking about could happen is where I both love and loathe this episode, right? Because who is to say that once you actually cross this threshold of fake time, right, as established by a fake warp scale would actually change you because we don't know. All of it is theory to begin with, which, you know, is part of why we love talking about episodes like this or loathe talking about episodes (laughs) like this. But I just don't see the hard line distinction between debating the supposed truth in the fiction of science fiction one way, but disregarding it in the other. So that's why that's where I have the hardest time really falling in love with this episode, because I know in what I've studied that it can't happen. But at the same time, though, I'm I'm accepting the fact that other science fiction elements do in the world building of this episode or of the continuity of Star Trek. All right. Well, I'm going to take us to morals, meetings, messages, because <laughs> I, uh, fascinating. Fa- I'm going to yeah. – this is one of those episodes that I will go back and listen to our discussion because mm-hmm. um, really taking what you say here to heart. Uh, the message, I think, is where also this episode is problematic and also leans into why it doesn't hold up for me because you've got two competing stories happening. Again, there's the Warp 10 flight and then there's this evolution, big, big finger quotes around that evolution plot. And neither are given their full due. That That's the issue here. And that's what kind of sidelines uh, a really serious look at morals, meanings, messages. I don't think there's any sort of message to be mined out of the trippiness of the idea becoming one with the universe and then turning into lizards because the script never really gets there. Now, Brannon aimed big. He, He wanted to have big ideas there, but I think they just never quite gel here. There could have been big ideas in that plot line could there have also been i don't know could you gone uh, could you have gone the path of like a generic warning about being too ambitious in scientific experimentation yeah but that's low-hanging fruit Mm -hmm. and that also feels really out of step for voyager you know that that just it's not this show to do that you know that then brings us to the other part of the story here and that is tom's journey janeway says to him you've earned a lot of people's respect and admiration yeah that is true as long as you leave out the turning into a lizard part and the kidnapping and mating with the captain part as long as people don't know that part of the story (laughs) they will probably still be able to maintain their respect and admiration for tom but seriously if this is a tom story is his arc satisfying is this actually a turning point for him? Because I feel like we've gone back and forth with him, and he seems to have integrated so nicely into the crew. He's heroic. He's likable. He seems to have kicked most of the things that were holding him back, 
But every now and then, when the writers remember, they drop in a reminder that his dad is a jerk and Tom needs approval. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and this is one of those episodes, though, where, where he gets to be reflective enough to realize that other people's opinions about him matter far less than his own. Having a coffee named after you is nice. But that ultimately doesn't lead to personal satisfaction. So that is a good thing. I wish the episode hadn't lost focus, though, to get us there. Because when we do get there, it feels a bit tacked on. By the way, trivia note, Robbie helped rewrite that scene. Oh, because he felt the need to actually just kind of bring it home with that. So I I, I don't think that it is a bad scene. I do think that it feels tacked on a little bit. And I think that that is the place potentially to mine that moral meaning message out of the show. Mm -hmm. So uh, there you go. That's my say. How about you, my friend? I'm glad you actually brought that up towards the end where you're saying that you were seeing kind of like that happened for Tom. Um, even though it was a little bit more convoluted for you, I think mm-hmm. it was actually it was very clear for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that that's one of the things where it's you know it's a it's a credit to what we do because we do watch these episodes over again. And the very first time I watched this episode, I thought that we were falling into kind of like a flight of Icarus, pride goeth before a fall mm-hmm. type of moral meaning and message, which is very easy to define again yeah. uh, using the phrase that that you used earlier, low hanging fruit, because mm-hmm. it is it's pride pushing Tom to make a decision that he really shouldn't make. Mm-hmm. But then I watched the episode more as we do, and then looking at more of kind of like the motivations and where Tom is and why he's making these decisions. I think it actually goes deeper than that. And you just, you brought up a couple of very good points that I also saw as well. And I think the actual moral meaning and message from my standpoint is you can't transwarp rebuilding redemption and trust. Hmm. Okay. Meaning that Mm -hmm. it takes time to rebuild broken trust and it takes time and effort and honesty and sincerity and goodwill and earnestness to be able to be the person that you want or others expect you to be, but mostly for yourself. And there are two scenes in particular that I felt gave us that kind of an insight. And they can be glossed over because, again, we're thinking about of the bigger scientific quandaries and quicksand pits that you know, we're going to walk into like later on after these scenes. But when Janeway brought him the bad news that the doctor grounded him, Tom said, when I was a boy, my father used to tell me that I was special. That one day I'd do something significant. My teachers at school, all the kids, everyone used to say, Tom Paris is going to do something important when he grows up. Obviously, that didn't happen. Tom went also on to say, Captain, this is the first time in 10 years I feel I have a life to risk. That's really, really deep and important. Yeah. When it's trying to, when we're trying to gauge, you know, Tom's character at this point. And then there's Tom's revelation at the end. And yes, I understand that there are certain issues with where he came to this, especially with abducting Janeway and doing what happened. But he said, breaking the threshold, it was incredible, but somehow it doesn't mean as much as I thought it would. I guess I went into looking for a quick fix. I thought making history would change things, not just my service record, but my reputation. These scenes, the way that I took them, they are quiet confessions from a very broken man who wants to be better. He wants to be better, and he wants to regain that trust and recognition of his peers. And until this episode, we really never understood why he's so aloof and jaded at times, You know, the way that he responds and kind of snaps at things. Mm-hmm. It's because his self-esteem, they have, he has huge issues, and 
largely because of its father. We saw that happen, you know, when the Bothans clouded their minds and the first person, remember John, we made fun of this, <laughs> the know, only right? person he saw it's, was his, his father, father yeah. whipping him through his hallucinations. So yeah. that's a huge part of why Tom is trying to move past, you know, these expectations. But you can't cheat redemption. You can't find this quick and easy path to righteousness. You know, you can't find the award that's going to wipe away like all of the demerits that you had from that point to now. You have to earn that. You know, you have to earn it and build those bridges with people. And it started with Harry. I think that's why he and Harry are going to be such great friends because he sees that that nobility and and what I could have been if I followed Harry's path, if I had Harry's parents that pushed me on this, this course, this personality, right? But he does have that. He's seeing that now. And there are so many great, um, there's so many great examples that you brought up of the crew actually caring, them feeling those moments of direness and despair when Tom dies because they do care, mm-hmm. right? He has found his family on Voyager, his actual family, his found family, yeah. not his biological family. And I think that that's where a lot of the greatness of this episode is lost because it's always compared to, and sadly, I think it will always be remembered as the lizard baby episode. But if you look past that low-hanging fruit, it's really easy to do so. It's really easy to whip on this episode because of that. I think this episode is far more than that. All right, folks, there it is. You just heard our coverage of Threshold. So (laughs) did we change any minds out there? How do you feel about it? Can't wait to hear from you. And you know how to reach us because Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, meld. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. Jonas is the unsung hero of this show. He could have given the K's on the secret of transwarp and turned them all into small squishy creatures. Problem solved. Thanks, Jonas. And transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 